Welcome to The Gate Shack, where you'll hear and engage in a down-to-earth discussion with security professional Scriven King about emerging and original security ideas and applications. Hello, and welcome back to The Gate Shack. Sit back, relax, and engage in some of the discussions we're having about security and the things that are shaping our world. First, I'd like to apologize for my audio issues. Earlier, I attempted to make uh, my audio sound better in one of the episodes that I had last week to a less than desirable result. Uh, today, I've had to record the same episode multiple times. In other words, it's been an adventure. So speaking of trials and tribulations, uh, this episode, we're going to be covering lessons that I, I've learned personally from Ferguson. And I wanted to record this uh, in a much more conversational tone um, because I truly like to have a more robust discussion on this topic than I think we've had. Um, I originally attempted to do this, though, by ad-libbing. And upon further review, I really hate doing it. So this week, while I talk, I still want you to engage via Twitter or the blog. So let's begin with the first lesson we've learned since August in Ferguson. The chief, uh, he brought an overwhelming amount of force expecting a de-escalation and didn't quite get it. Um, we covered this last episode, but I want to touch on it some more. Uh, this is one of the biggest myths in security, uh, wherein we believe a large display of force de-escalates things. They don't, in fact. Um, as Ferguson used canine in the display of tactical weapons at the low ready, um, the crowds only grew more exasperated and the situation grew more intense. In many ways, more force can actually convince a crowd that, quote unquote, it's on. And it can, or it can just paint the picture that they want of you in your response, and, which is that you're a bunch of jackbooted thugs waiting to kill them. So how do we fix this? Well, first, you have to share the intelligence you received about the threats at these venues. Um, a great example was that there was a police helicopter that had been previously shot a few nights before. Um, they released a notice to all airmen, basically from the FAA, saying that uh, there were no aircraft that would be flying over Ferguson's airspace. The chief uh, didn't bother to take any pictures of the aircraft, um, and just sort of told people that that was the reason why um, they were restricting airspace was because his helicopter had been shot, allegedly. And so he had nothing to prove it later on, and nobody believed him. And so um, it really kind of undermined uh, him even further. Um, and second, secondly, you know, you want to use tools that are designed for the task. Uh, the best analogy I always use is um, if it, you don't want to use a bazooka if it calls for a baton. So make sure you use the right tools for the right task. Another lesson that we've learned uh, was that the chief uh, allowed his mouth to convey uh, he was not empathetic nor interested in investigating the issues the community brought forth. Um, there's a saying that, you know, you shouldn't let your mouth write checks, you know, what can't cash. And this is a perfect example. Um, but for whatever reason, the chief did a lot of talking on his own, and he seemed to not rely on his public affairs officer. And, and herein lies a problem. The chief forgot he wasn't a trained spokesman, I believe, and allowed his personal communication style to kind of display a lack of concern or urgency about fixing the issues the public had with the police department. It took him well into the protest to reach out to the community leaders and only did so um, when it was in public and seemed to be more advantageous to him. Um, his apology seemed coerced and frankly a little too little too late uh, 
and something else. The chief never reached out to community leaders to get a handle on what was happening. Now, this could very well have happened behind closed doors, no doubt. And I'm sure he probably made some calls. But what he required, in my opinion, was a public display of unity with community leaders while being seen giving stern and earnest reassurances that his department was taking matters very seriously. Something else. The chief never relayed why Mike Brown's body was on the ground for four hours. When he, when he, when he did, it was a little too late. Um, this may not seem like anything major, um, and in some circles it probably wouldn't be. However, it, it truly exasperated the situation. I'll explain how. Um, as you know, I've been a criminal defense investigator for a few years, and I know more about homicide cases than I really care to talk about. Um, I also recognize that every investigation is different, and at times, procedurally, a body may rest in place for a while until an investigative need has been met. I get that, no doubt. Um, my concern is that the public was allowed to see this happen with no explanation. The story goes from bad to even worse as more time elapses in situations like this. Why not just explain what took so long or at least apologize right away? I mean, the imagery behind it is just terrible. If you leave a body on the ground for four hours and the public has no explanation, they could easily assume that you just didn't care. There's something else we learned. There was a concerted effort to leak information without understanding the consequences. Now, some of these leaks were authorized leaks given by the chief to go ahead and release certain information, and there were other leaks that came from, quote-unquote, sources close to law enforcement. And it's key to remember that everything you do, good or bad, as a law enforcement officer, no matter your position, especially in a civil disturbance, has serious consequences. That the chief learned the hard way. It is always best to release information when things are finished with the grand jury, not before. Your releasing of certain information could do more harm than good and could actually escalate things further, depending on what you, you decide to release. Something else. The chief and the local authorities took too long to establish an incident command, and the chief was seemingly not in control of his officers. The incident command system is probably one of the, well, it is the premier uh, sort of mitigating factor in, in disaster preparedness. And so what do I mean by that is, is in every disaster, we try to prepare as, as emergency managers and security professionals a, a plan to help mitigate uh, the effects of that particular disaster. And a riot, in many ways, is a disaster. And so one of the key elements of that plan is setting up an incident command. And it seemed in many ways that the chief didn't necessarily have that right away. And a great example of this was the now famous uh, or infamous arrest of the two journalists that were at the McDonald's. Um, the cops arrest these two men and then their editors later on call the chief looking for them. So they ask him where the men were um, and the chief replies that they are were probably in lockup, but he would set them free immediately. Um, so the editors naturally asked, well, since you're obviously not at the incident command center, um, who's in charge? And his reply was, he didn't know. Um, and this kind of reeks of a man who is overwhelmed. How do you not know who is in control um, as mass protests occur in a city where you're the chief of police? His officers seemed also to be 
really unprofessional in some instances. Um, they were calling protesters animals and threatening journalists and bystanders with being shot with little to any provocation. Um, remember, the narrative was this police department was out of control. The imagery, to say the least, was not helpful. This is probably the last thing you want to, to, to have happen um, for this particular department. Something else that we learned was that the chief failed to keep protesters from large mass gathering locations in key terrain. Um, this is an area of particular interest to me because I'm kind of a big physical security guy. And, and so um, there were certain things that I noticed. For instance, the QT, which was the convenience store um, where Mike Rao allegedly committed the strong arm robbery before being killed over um, a pack of cigarettes, Logic would have dictated that this was a location of extreme interest and contention for some protesters, yet there was no barrier plan in place to protect it or key areas. Um, the chief could have implemented a barrier plan which would have directed traffic onto sidewalks where mass congregations would have been more difficult. Um, I prefer Jersey barriers uh, myself. So you can fill those up with water or sand, and they're really, really durable and versatile and mobile. Most are made of plastic. Um, however, as I've come to learn through a recent discussion with someone on Twitter, they're not fireproof. Um, so while in the early days of the protest, it was difficult to plan and, and execute this, um, but as soon as these areas were of target of interest, and as soon as he realized that and knew that, that, that eventually, you know, if looted or burned, um, they could pose a danger to not just the public, but to peaceful protesters who were there, um, the chief should have considered and implemented a, 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 a pretty robust and uh, barrier plan. The chief forgot that there was a battle that was being waged on two fronts, and, and physical and the cyber. And, and by, what I mean by that is that I believe the chief underestimated the influence that groups like Anonymous and, and others would play into this protest. Anonymous, as you know, are a group of hacktivists um, who pretty much have an, an online presence uh, wherein they they either hack or obtain information about um, an adversary, mostly those in government or in power, and then uh, proceed to dox that, meaning they, they submit that information up for mass public review. They are also uh, responsible for a number of other uh, physical protests, and they tend to collaborate both the physical and the cyber together, making them a, a wholly unique kind of organization. Uh, and then there were others that were there too, communists, there were anarchists, there were clan members, etc. that were there. And I'm not sure if the chief quite understood uh, the, the entire dynamics that were there at play. Um, these groups have also been engaged in, in information operations against this police department since day one and against numerous other departments for quite some time. Um, the, the chief soon became besieged by rumors, and, which were mostly false, about the investigation, um, the response to the protests, and Darren Wilson, the officer who shot and killed Mike Brown. Instead of implementing some form of transparency early on, uh, his decision for his department to remain silent at times and selectively transparent at others allowed for some outside groups to kind of take control of the narrative. And I realized the chief wasn't to blame for everything. The mayor deserves much more of this, much more of his share of this, um, as do some other parties. Uh, protesters seem unprepared for violent 
uh, elements uh, to come and do their own thing. Uh, they, they waited too long, to, in my opinion, to address these agitators who eventually left to only come back in November. Um, there will undoubtedly be times when uh, new challenges will arise, but I think all parties uh, will need better collaborative uh, discussions amongst each other about protest operations as this moves further along uh, to avoid continued violence. Speaking of moving along, if you'd like to continue today's discussion, feel free to comment below or tweet the hashtag FergusonLessons. Until next time, be safe, take care of yourself, protect your resources, and take care of your people.